0: Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor in chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Dear
1: Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for this meeting and thank you for this group that's here to talk with us and let us know our concerns and your concerns about the city of Franklin. Lord, we hope and pray that you'll be with us in this meeting and Lord, give us the right words, the right things to say that are pleasing to you, Lord. That will help the voters and the other citizens around in this area to hear what we have to say based on your word. In your name of Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. And welcome back to the Mill Creek View Tennessee podcast. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person, this time persons making positive change in our community. This time special guests, Patrick George, Jeff Feldman, and Gary Moore. But first, for more information about the Stable of Mill Creek View podcast, visit us anywhere you get your podcasts and socials at Mill Creek View, Tennessee, Washington, and Florida. While you're there, please subscribe. It's always totally free to you. And welcome to our People in the News episode, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Today, we are talking with Alderman at Large candidates Gary Moore, Jeff Feldman, and Patrick George. Patrick George is a husband, father, chaplain, business executive, and a man deeply grounded in Christian, constitutional, conservative values. Patrick's calling to Franklin was more than a a personal decision. It was a response to a higher purpose. He sees in Franklin's rich history and community a place where families can grow in faith, love, and mutual respect. However, he also recognizes challenges, particularly the subtle infiltration of ungodly values in our community that can corrupt the innocent and moral compass of our children, and divide our families. Over the past two decades, Patrick's executive leadership spans six continents. He has built and led organizations and contributed to think tanks focused on policy, development, and culture. In his personal and professional life, Patrick has learned that the keys to success are relationships, integrity, and servant leadership. Because the decisions of a leader affect not only individuals, but also their families and livelihood. He was a senior advisor to the vice chairman and executive board of the World Trade Center Association, 750,000 member companies located in over 90 countries, Business Council of International Understanding. Did I get it all right? Oh, pretty close, Steve. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me and thank you for your audience. Thank you for
0: coming. Appreciate yeah, it.
2: Of course. Jeff Feldman, position A D versus an. Pedersen incumbent, uh, born and raised in the suburbs of Chicago. He learned from an early age that if he ever wanted anything, he was going to have to fight for it. At a very young age, he was diagnosed with a severe speech problem. They said it would, he would never talk. His mom was instrumental in his fight to speak, and she was not going to allow him to fail. After spending every day in speech therapy from four to 16 years of age, he personally decided to finish the job himself and perfect his ability to speak. This fight brought him to God and made him believe with God, all things are possible. It was that fight in him along with God, which allowed him to battle cancer for two years and survive, amen. Along the way, he met his wife, Natalie, who has been his everything, including getting baptized together this very year. Over the past few years, he knew you were going to have to leave California. So looked all over and decided Franklin, Tennessee was gonna be his home. People asked him all the time, what brought him to Franklin? That was easy, Jesus and freedom. He believes strongly in living Ujdeo-Christian life every day. In 2007, he decided to pursue new dreams and start a social media company. Being in social media brought out the need for mental health. So he went to school and became a therapist. I've been a ma- He's been a managing partner owner in several businesses, including restaurants, apparel printing, aerospace, and a water company. He's been in public service in some capacity for almost 20 years. Continued that always from mid city city council in L.A. to board of building appeals to vice chairman of the view restoration committee, where he learned how important it is to really listen and be a critical thinker. As he made law, currently he's at Franklin Citizen Government Academy. Also won the Sharpshooter Award when I went through when he went through the Laguna Beach Citizens Police Academy. Did I miss anything? That's a long resume. <laughs> that is long. No, uh,
0: that sounds about right. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
2: Awesome. Thanks for taking time to come on in. And Gary Moore. Position B versus Brandy Blanton, the incumbent. Born and raised as a young farmer and sharecropper in Unionville and Eagleville and grew crops, livestock, vegetables and hay at age nine in College Grove. Williamson County resident of 22 years, a lifelong resident of Tennessee, a unicorn. 20 years farming in Williamson County, attended and graduated from MTSU in 1979. Go Blue Raiders with a B.S. in agriculture, plant and soil science. Obtained employment with USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service immediately after college. 37 years with the U.S. Department of Agriculture Natural Resource Conservation Service. Five years as plant inspector for Tennessee Department of Agriculture. Martha, your wife, had a 38-year career as a surgical registered nurse and four years as a hospice nurse, retiring from Aviana Hospice of Franklin in 2021. You are a member of the Williamson County Republican Party, Tennessee Republican Party, National Republican Party, Franktown Open Hearts Ministry, Grace Works Ministries, Bridges Domestic Violence Center, Vate. Men of Valor, Tennessee Baptist Children's Home, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, Gary Sinise Foundation for Wounded Veterans, Goodwill Industries, World Outreach Church, Nashville Rescue Mission, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. When do you sleep? You have been and will always be that man with a grassroots upbringing and knowing where you come from, your website says. Did I get it? Did I miss anything? You got it. I hope not. That is a lot. Well, thank you also for joining us. just a little bit about Franklin, for all of you tuning in from elsewhere. City of Franklin began in 1799. Franklin named one of America's dozen distinctive destinations, great neighborhoods from the American Planning Association. That's why people moved to Franklin. They want to live where they have some of the best schools in Tennessee. In 1980, twelve thousand four hundred people lived here. today eighty eight thousand seven hundred and twenty three. And projected to grow to 100,000 by 2029. To fit in 41 square miles, average household income in Franklin is $129,917, with a property tax rate of 5.8%. With average home price $1 million as of recently, $2,802 is the median rent, which is $717 more than the national median. We our demographics are 79.33% white. percent Asian, black or African-American 6.18 percent, 71.1 percent labor force participation, higher than the Tennessee average, 68.8 percent employment rate, 3.2 percent unemployment rate, the state is all-time low seasonally adjusted uh, for jobs. 83.92 percent of Franklin residents were born in the United States with 34.74 percent having been born in Tennessee, so it's true most people aren't from here. Two-thirds aren't. <laughs> as Alderman Hansen said on the show last week. Two thousand twenty two Franklin Community Service Survey results. 93% of residents are frank, rate Franklin as excellent to good as a place to live. 89% of residents rate the overall quality of city service as excellent and good. 95% of residents rate the overall feeling of safety in Franklin as excellent and good. That number is even higher, 99%, when asked about safety in their neighborhood and downtown. 76% rate their satisfaction of the city's management of growth as either very or somewhat satisfied. This is lower than 2016, 84%, and 2019, 80%. We call that a trend. All right, let's get into this. Patrick. Yes. There are 790 employees that earn over $31 million in net pay of taxpayer-funded, obviously, um, generated income. Are we overstaffed for a city of 80,000 people growing to 100?
3: Yeah. Well, Steve, you mentioned some very staggering statistics there. Um, we're a very affluent town, um, a lot of folks moving here, very desirable. I think the challenge we have is looking at our budget and making sure it's allocated properly. So I think when we ask that question, we got to be asking ourselves a much broader macro um, decision-making process here. So we look at the broad spectrum of how we're moving forward, not just the question of, hey, are we spending too much money or or are we overstaffed? We need to look at specifically different departments where the allocation goes. And that's where you're going to achieve success because we have a lot of people moving here. And we need to be able to provide, continue that safety, continue the resources needed for the first responders, the fire department, the police department, of course. Um, So I think that's that's really what we should be looking at.
2: Okay, so uh, the budget you speak of, local sales taxes, 58.1% is how the city is run, Uh, the largest percentage of the pie. I'll put this graphic up for the viewers. Um, The next biggest would be an alcohol tax, 5.4%. So significant, sorry, the next biggest one would be property tax at 11.3%, And then with the state shares 15.9 percent um gary i'll ask you this question visitor spending in williamson county where franklin is set a new record in 2022 by generating 1.195 billion dollars in direct visitor spending there's your sales tax according to newly released data compiled by the u.s travel association and tourism economics and released by the tennessee department of tourist development how do you feel about funding a small town like Franklin with tourist dollars.
1: That's particularly what I think is one of the major ways that we do this, that we've got to make sure uh, West Main, our area around Chip, the Soldier right in the middle, all of the streets in and out of Franklin, need to remain that small town appeal. That's why people are coming here, that small town businesses. We do not need to move into banking and other businesses that are not providing some kind of Tourist value. The tourists are coming because they love what the little shops and stores are providing here. Um, the sales tax could be de- moved from there as more and more businesses come in. Maybe we'll use some of that sales tax to incentivize maybe even more local businesses to, to come in. The property tax is an issue sometimes with me coming from a farming background that it it's uh, left to our landowners and there's not that many landowners in the city of Franklin or even in the county now as we're moving into smaller tracts of land that have city and county tax appropriated against them. So property tax is a problem I'd like to see it looked at very carefully in how we're using the property tax to keep that burden off of our real landowners.
2: Okay, we'll definitely talk about more of that in a minute. Um, uh, Patrick, how do you feel about um, the use of the sales tax um, based on mostly tourism? Uh, to to cover all the needs of the city well Steve you know when you you look at this you
3: have to determine how committed you are to the tourism right if you're solely relying upon tourism to pay your bills that's going to fluctuate so there's the challenge right and I don't think Franklin over the past several years under this current leadership has made that decisive decision right it's the corporatization of uh, companies coming in that we're feeding our dollars to, and we're not allocating proper tourism to the small businesses. I'm pro small, small businesses, because that's why we come to Franklin. But to rely solely on that is gonna cost you in the
2: long run. Okay. Jeff, you're a fellow out-of-towner. You must have come here as a tourist at one
0: point, before you decided to settle down. What are your thoughts on this? So I did not come here as a tourist oh, beforehand. um my bad. Um, no, no, no. no. I, I, that's the interesting thing. Uh, we just decided to, to move here. Um, but I feel that when you're just solely, I mean, that's a very large number, almost 60% of our revenue is made mm-hmm. up of sales tax. Um, I think we've all come out of this um, pandemic, you know, the last three years with a whole different viewpoint on business, on revenue, on tourism, right? People were locked in their homes businesses were shut down. Um, that's a problem because if we, if, if, if that happens again, and it will, then how are we going to fund this city? You know, now we're talking borrowing money, going into debt, maybe things don't happen in the city the way that we want it. And since everyone's coming here, I think we owe it to our constituents to really look into how we fund this city, how we run this city, be transparent on how we spend their money and make sure that we have a backup plan for when this hits again
2: okay um i'd like to change topic slightly there tennessee now requires court order or proof of pardon to restore felon voting rights 470,000 disenfranchised felons per the sentencing project reports 9% of tennessee voting age population is disenfranchised because of a felony conviction for blacks it's over 21 percent uh wh- what are your thoughts coming from a much different demographic of a town uh to come here what are your thoughts on this new state mandate and how it'll affect franklin's election when you really only need 3.6 percent of the vote to win a yep. seat because <laughs> of how low participation was two years ago when right. alderman were up for the first time the last time
0: yeah i think i think you know the law is that if you're a felon you can't vote and i think we need to to abide by that. Uh, I, do think, I do think that it's important for us to look at, and that's that's something that in a broader spectrum we need to talk about, um, why is voter turnout so low? Why don't people feel that they want to take advantage of their right to vote and have a say so? Seems a lot of people want to complain or a lot of people are are very interested in Um, what goes on yet they don't want to show up at the polls and they don't want to vote. Um, and I think that's something we need to look at. That's a, maybe it's a culture thing. Maybe it's, uh, we're not advertising well enough. Maybe people don't know that there's an election coming up. Uh, um, I've had talks with uh, city officials about why aren't they promoting that there's a, a city election because that's important. There's a lot of people we go door to door and, um, these guys can tell you, you know, when we're when we're talking, nobody even knows there's there's an election. So we need to do a better job at that, and we need to encourage people to come out as their civic duty and as their right, as being an American, to uh, to vote and to participate.
2: Patrick, let me follow up with you on that. So in two thousand nineteen, Williamson County had a fourteen percent turnout. Franklin City, seven percent. There are 30,000 registered voters, 3.6% is about half. All you need is 1,080 to win a vote in a town of 30, 000, or 80,000, like I said, growing to 100,000. It's pretty ridiculous. What are your comments on apathy, voter turnout, and the fact that felons are disenfranchised? Let's just throw that in there.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, you asked that question previously about the disenfranchised felons. Um, you know, we've seen, we've seen that in other states where the, the felons and having a right to vote. And I don't believe in that. I think there's there's a, a better process to be able to represent the voting population. And that means focusing on that, that 3% number, right? Like how do we move the needle on that for folks to come out? And I think there's got to be greater transparency in the process. So when we, if people truly look, every decision that happens at the local level is truly what affects us in our daily lives, and we need to take that seriously, right? So I think when we, we truly look at this, we need to understand that um, the government itself. I think how it's been run is there hasn't been that transparency. There hasn't been the opportunity to get the word out because really they're they're very comfortable in who's been in the positions. Many of the folks run unopposed. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but that's that's challenge
2: mm-hmm. every there are two on the ballot for next month
3: yeah. correct and that should be always the case you should always be looking at different views always being challenged so that you have a choice as a citizen and that should be broadcast and publicized to the folks so they have an opportunity to make their decisions that directly affect them
2: mm-hmm. gary same question to you you are a unicorn you've been here for a long time you're part of the soil of this state and this city for sure um what are you hearing out there in the uh, when you're knocking doors, when you're having events, that you uh, feel maybe more turnout will happen or less, or is it just status quo uh, because the voters are not interested? As and and I have a, one last question on that. Okay. I come from a place where only 23% of Christians are registered to vote. Not didn't vote, registered. Yeah. Washington State, it's a terrible thing. They could move the needle very easily if they really wanted to, but apparently they don't. You, uh, on your website, very much proud Christian uh, individual. You prayed over us to make sure this is going to be a good show. What are you hearing from the religious community and to their motivation, and do you feel that this state could do better, or the city could do better, getting uh, participation from religious
1: individuals? Honestly, we're going to see a a very good turnout. I'm not going to predict numbers yet, but as I'm traveling around and pounding doors, and as— as they have alluded to, as they find out there is an election that's based on incumbents' votes, because that's where my approach is, is that here's the uh, problem that I see, and here's their vote. I'm not against that person. I'm against that person's vote, and that vote is contrary to the Christians and the conservatives and the constitutionalists, as I'm knocking on doors. I'm not hearing many people say, hey, they're doing a great job. All of them are, that they're just great people. I'm hearing... Uh, there is an election, I'm finally hearing about it, and I love seeing and hearing from you and reading about your website. So I'm expecting a, large, a, lot, a much larger number, and I think we better be prepared for numbers larger than 4%, 5%, 6%, whatever it is. I honestly believe as we're getting out and about and people are hearing our message, is that it will be a larger turnout. I'm, I'm grassroots, man, I, just down the road. I've been in and out of this place all of my life. My family's lived here friends, businesses and things. So as my job had me moving across the States I'm always came back home. So I can remember those days of, of seeing kids on in their yards playing and screaming and laughing and jumping rope and chalking up the sidewalks and mom and daddy say, Go outside and don't come back in this house till it's dark. Y'all get out and play. Now if you're on the farm it was go out and work and don't you come back in <laughs> here till it's time. So I remember those days where there were freedom with parents turning their Kids out, turning them loose and having a big time. You don't hear this screaming and laughing and playing and jumping rope and riding bikes now. As I'm going door to door knocking, it's discouraging to me that I don't see kids out playing. But when I do, it warms my heart and knows that we can get, and I know we can get back to that because the Christians and the conservatives and the Constitutionists are going to come out this time. and They're going to come out in numbers and vote us in.
3: Steve, I just want to piggyback off that one thing, just to punctuate this. I think they're going to come out, like Gary said. There's going to be more people voting than ever, because they have a choice now. And and I think that's the key. When people know that they have a, a choice, they can actually vote with their hearts. And as far as the Christian vote, um, you know, just you know, speaking with different pastors, I think there's there's some apathy in the pulpit. But I think they're they're looking at this ever since the the pandemic. I think they're looking at this with fresh eyes. And I think I'm I'm highly encouraged with that because that really can swing the boat because we're supposed to be the the belt buckle of the Bible belt, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I'm highly encouraged with what's gonna happen in this turnout. Jeff, yeah, did you want to say? Something?
0: Yeah, I got uh, two really quick points to make. One is um, you know, there's a lot of people like you and I, Steve, right, who have come here in the last couple of years and Patrick that we've come here, we see what's going on, we left, we moved for a certain reason. So there, I think you're going to see a, a larger turnout. I'm, I'm hopeful of that because we've all come here. We want to make sure that we came here for a reason and we want to keep it. We want to keep it that, that Franklin, that small town feel, that, that family values, as those, those, those Judeo-Christian values. We want to keep that here. Okay. Number one, number two, really quick. Is I think it's important and very important for people to to understand that um, if anybody watched the Nashville elections, right, they had all these city council people that got voted, and it was the top. I, I don't remember if it was the top four, or top six, all one, right? They didn't go against somebody for a seat. Uh, that's how it used to be here in Franklin, and um, I believe in 2007. That was the last time that was like that. And what they did is they switched to, now you have to run against somebody. Now somebody has to oppose somebody for an alderman seat instead of it used to be the top four uh, uh, people get in. Yeah. And I think that 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 it discourages people from running against incumbents because now you're running a race against one person or you're running a race against certain people for one seat. And before it was a lot easier Um, and more encouraging for people. And I think that's why Nashville does that. I think that my own personal opinion is, I think we change that here to keep people longer in office and keep giving them more power. Okay. So um, these mics are very sensitive,
2: by the way, if you tap, we're gonna hear. Uh, (laughs) The mayor and alderman approved a memorandum of understanding between the city, Franklin Preservation Partners, LLC, and First United Methodist Church of Franklin to purchase and transfer property related to the racetrack at Creekside. Largest land preservation acquisition by the city in roughly 20 years. Mm -hmm. The city will pay the church $2,055,738 for the 34-acre racetrack property, $1,555,738, and $500,000 for the house. Franklin also acquired two parcels of land from the Preservation Partners Group including a 25-acre property location at the southeast corner of Franklin Road and MacArthur Parkway $3,416,393 and an adjoining 17-acre parcel east of the railroad $777,869. The city of Franklin will acquire three parcels of land totaling 76 acres at a cost of 6 point two five million dollars the interim report reads this land will be enhanced will enhance the footprint of the park at hillsdale farms which had a interesting history this year uh jeff
0: what do you know about this what do you want to tell everybody that you think about this so i think it's important for people to ask questions who are these frank franklin preservation partners um personally I think they're they have some some ties to uh to the uh uh foma uh and the mayor um they just went out i believe last november and bought this property somehow they knew that this property was going to be attractive to the city now they're selling it to the city the city is not going to have to go into debt because they don't have this money their plan is to finance this uh, this this property acquisition there's also going to be that was missed in there. There's also gonna be a property swap with the church. Um, so the church is gonna get some of this property as well. The The, the uh, board of mayor and aldermen also um, in, their, in, in the last uh, meeting and it's, you can find it online. Um, they also want to push this through very quickly before the election it seems. And they also want to loan and give a a payment right away of a couple million dollars because the church doesn't have the money um or the people don't have the money number one number two who's who's you know this church is very involved in our city right now the pastor bona wilson is very involved she's involved now with the ethics committee she's also the pastor of the mayor and she's also part of this land swap deal it's i don't know it's just to me it's something that i think people should be aware of um instead of us pushing through things lastly i'll say you made a good point that this is the largest uh acquisition in 20 years i come from different cities that i've been a part of and these are things that are on referendums that that these are large decisions. People, the citizens should have a right to know what's going on and they should be involved in that decision. Do we want to go into debt to do this deal? Is this deal really you know, on the up and up? Um, from what I understand, we don't do referendums in the city of Franklin. And so that's part of that transparency that myself and, and I know these two guys are trying to bring into the city because without that, things just get pushed through. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patrick, to you. Um, a new organization called
2: the Coalition for Common Sense Tennessee, yeah. a former candidate for the Tennessee House, uh, Bob Ravener, I believe, runs it, it uh, and it, it stated in, its stated intent is to, quote, support elected officials and candidates who have, quote, the greater good of the community as a priority versus divisive ideological issues. Who are the names of the individuals and groups this coalition believes seek to dismantle the fabric of our community by promoting, quote, divisive ideology and values that are not in the best interest of our community um, and endorse the mayor and the other three competitive aldermen? So I'm not exactly sure that's correct in their intended purpose. What is your comment on Coalition for Common Sense Tennessee?
3: Well, it's a... That's an interesting name, is it? Is it not? Common sense. I think um, you know when these groups are formed. Jeff was just alluding to it as well. You know, with the full transparency. I think what's happening here in this town, what I've witnessed, is we're starting to form special interest groups that are supporting, that are supporting, the mayor, the incumbents, the establishment. And if people aren't waking up to that. And take a purview into you know a deeper dive into these groups, they're misinformed. Hey, look, it's just the the, the standard playbook for um, all the establishment or those who are um, you know trying to create divisiveness. They throw that on to other folks. So I would I really challenge you, your audience, to take a deeper look into that. Make the I mean it's pretty obvious what's going on here, mm-hmm. but I think they need to make their own decisions. Say is this a group that has thoroughly vetted the candidates, but also is, are they truly a group that's for common
2: sense, or is it something that they lack? Interesting. Okay, I'll take a look. Um, I had Alice Rowley on here, who was one of the, Repu- the only Republican to make it through the primary up in Nashville. She recently lost a race for Nashville mayor and was against light rail. Uh, Mayor-elect Freddie O'Donnell was for it, so it'll be an issue very soon, and if you're on the uh, diocese, I guess you'd call it, or in the council. This will be before you. Uh, Are you for it coming to Franklin?
1: No, I'm not. Uh, This light rail could bring in elements that we're not ready for. The infrastructure first must be laid out for it, Uh, but the people and all that are transversing back and forth may be uh, be an element that we're not ready for. Uh, The drug scene, the homeless scene, these people that are that will ride this kind of uh, public transit. Now if it's used for primarily working people that want to get from A to B and get to their jobs more efficiently and easily and with gas at $4 a gallon here in Franklin practically, then this may be an alternative for them. But it'll have to be looked at and studied very carefully because we do not want an influx of anything uh, that would that would tear down our tourism, our family home feeling here. Uh, Franklin is known just for being its little close town, its close and it was beautiful shops as I alluded to earlier. And I'm afraid that this could interfere with that. And and that's something I just will not support until it's heavily surveyed and we look further into this. Just to have light rail, no sir, I'm not for
2: it. Okay, Jeff, before I get your answer, I just want to point out that some of the permits that have already been granted for some of the construction and development that's already going on has carved out footprints for light rail. So if you were on the council, would you vote no to approve future development that has light rail, or would you waive all the old ones so they can actually put housing on that footprint instead of maybe a pillar that would
0: carry a light rail to crack? Right, so uh, that is an absolute no for me, uh, being, living 29 years in Chicago, living in the city of Chicago, uh, living in Los Angeles, I can tell you i'm totally against light rail uh i'm to- uh, what happens in these situations is you've got uh, as gary said you've got uh homeless you've got crime you've got drugs all coming in it's easy it's easy to get in and out um, these cities that uh if you take a look at these cities that have light rail or mass transit what do they all share in common they're all they're all democratic led Number one, number two, they all have super high crime rates. And those cities are being destroyed. Nashville is another one of those cities. And is that what we want coming here to Franklin? Do we want to make that even easier for these people? And the answer is absolutely not.
2: Mm -hmm. And with the sales tax being so important, do we not want people from Nashville to come down here? Because I can tell you this much coming from the city of Seattle and watching a mega billion dollar project go along I-5 from downtown to the airport. But driving it constantly in traffic and looking to my right and seeing empty cars, I know that the money wasn't really well allocated. What is your thought on this? Look, Steve, that's the point, right? So we've got a trolley system here in our quaint little
3: town or city, as you say. It's growing, right? (laughs) Right. Um, Feels like a town still. Um, And you pay your $2, you can go on the trolley. But it costs us $40 as a city. Math doesn't add up. Too many times we've seen towns, cities, you know, uh, just changed dramatically overnight. And we live in specifically here in Tennessee, we live in a, a town and city where people have their cars, people that's part of the individual liberties, right? People love to take advantage of using their cars to go to different places, providing a light rail system, any type of funding or budgetary concerns there, you know, I mean, they're warranted, right? Because you're just, Creating something to create, and that's an agenda that I feel those who are on the liberal side of economics really want to spend our money to create a system that sounds good, but nobody uses, to your
2: point. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, All right. Closer to home. An electrical vehicle fire at Nissan headquarters here in Franklin required several more hours and 45 times more gallons of water to put out than a conventional vehicle fire, which is typically 500 to 1000 gallons of water. They use 45,000 gallons of water. Uh, it's a challenge. The Franklin Fire Department warns all filed. Glenn E. Johnson, Jr. said all fire departments are struggling with because Lithium-ion battery fires often cannot be extinguished until the battery cell has released its energy. Shouldn't Nissan have to pay for that?
1: Oh, yes. There's no doubt in my mind uh, that they should. we granted them all these incentives to come here, and that's a great thing because it's brought in a lot of employment. But they have to have responsibility and accountability for these things that could happen with the lithium-ion batteries. A lot of discussion about that. Because when they go out, what's it going to cost to replace one? I've heard from friends, 12, dollars $18,000, and they're going uh, to a cost of another vehicle instead of trying to purchase a battery. So these batteries have got to be studied. I know we've got a lithium plant coming to Tennessee. My not it or against it at this moment. It's not in Franklin. It's not my concern just yet. But yes, uh, Nissan should be held accountable and responsible for this, and the Franklin City, fire department. I want to work with these people to learn how to better tackle these fires. Now, I know there's a fact that it says it has to burn out or whatever it is, but somewhere there's enough technology in the United States that we need to find and bring here to Franklin because we are going to be dealing with lithium ions here from now on out. So let's try to find out more about these fires and then get our Franklin Fire Department, our rescue squad up to snuff. And unlike paper straws, let's say, as (laughs) an environmental solution,
2: Uh, these don't degrade in the landfill very long. And so where are they going? And in our beautiful state of Tennessee, the world's largest ion lithium battery uh, mine is being stripped right up there uh, near the border of Kentucky. So it's going to be a big thing here, and Governor Lee is all for it. Um, Speaking of water... Spring Hill water customers are being asked by the city to stop all non-essential water usage, including irrigation activities, until further notice. The advisory came as a result of unforeseen mechanical issues with the municipal and regional water systems, which require immediate attention and maintenance. The Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation announced it was giving away 20 grants, totaling around $63.9 million for cities and counties across the state. If you were there, Patrick, would you uh, vote yes for Franklin to try to get some of that money? Absolutely. Do we have a need? Uh, we certainly
3: do. I what mean there's it? the issue. we've we brought up the issues of even uh, I've had a whole host of folks ask me about the water issues in, in Franklin, right? We've talked about the reclaimed water, right to balance out the use of you know potable water. So I, you know, to be passed over on that or not be committed to getting a granted, we we desperately need. We're a growing city. You mentioned all these statistics in the beginning, right? So it's going to be tough for your audience to to dial back into those. But you know, I would highly encourage folks to say, hey, with this demand and growth comes the use of water. That's part of the, you know what I talk about in some of my issues and you know being uh, about the infrastructure. I don't think our current leadership is actually working off of leading indicators. They're working off of lagging indicators, which means to your audience and to the common sense issue would be you're being reactive. So we got to be proactive and plan for the growth, manage growth, smart growth, and that means taking advantage of opportunities to you know, get the grants to be able to improve our water
2: quality system. Okay. And walking around the city, it's an amazing thing. I think that on your website, you want to maintain a walkable city, but somebody has got a real bone to pick, and they want to put up terror marks. What are your thoughts on terror markers? Let's start with you, Jeff.
0: Well, I had a conversation, actually, when I moved here. I sat down with uh, Mayor Ken Moore, and um, this was one of the topics that we brought up. Brought up that I brought up to him. Um, I understand this is something near and dear to, to his heart. Explain and, for
2: everybody what a terror marker
0: is. Uh, a terror marker, right now there's at least three um, that they want to put up. A terror marker is where there was a lynching. Um, the first terror marker they want to put up is because a Jewish guy got hung um here in Franklin and um what they want what they say what they want to do is they want to uh tell the fuller story of Franklin and those are the words they use we want to tell the full story of Franklin Mm -hmm. um and basically what this opens up if we allow these terror markers is now that we're not now um under uh I believe it was Bill Haslam who was a, a former governor um he there was a, a a law that was put into place about reparations and so these terror markers you'll find them in places like Nashville Chattanooga Memphis everyone can figure out what those places have in common um us be, us putting up these racial terror markers will only open the door to reparations and this is something that the uh that, that many different coalitions here uh and organizations in in franklin that are have the ear of the mayor and the council that they, they're all on board with you, yeah, and,
3: you know jeff that's a good point and i would say this Steve, is when you start you mentioned it earlier um about divisiveness right this is an intentionality to create divisiveness mm-hmm. this is an t- intentionality that we've seen across mm-hmm. our country for several years now and it's, it's, it, it's something that the left, the, the middle, the rhinos, that what they're looking at is, how do we separate so we can manipulate? And I think that's what these terror markers are really about. Okay. We're, we're a rich historic society here. We've got tremendous amount. We've, we talk about um, the blood that was shed. That's not good, but that is history. But to create terror markers to intentionally divide the race, right so we're starting to look more at the skin issue not the sin issue and that's my issue very yeah,
2: well said okay uh williamson county public library on september 18th through 24th 2022 they had a sign that read this library celebrates banned book week an annual national event sponsored by multiple organizations including the american liberties i'm sorry the american library association Ms. Emily Drabinsky, the self described Marxist lesbian, president of the American Library Association, ALA, wants to recenter children's libraries on notions of queerness, quote unquote, and prevent what she describes as, quote, angry white mob parents, end quote, from trying to block the efforts. Ms. Drabinsky is a supporter of critical race theory, divisiveness. The vast majority of its membership fees are provided by taxpayer funds. Montana was the first state to withdraw from the ALA, completely citing their, quote, far left-leaning ideologies and electing a, quote, Marxist president. The Texas State Library of Archives Commission, TSLAC, recently announced its decision to also reportedly cut ties with the ALA, after Republican Texas State Rep Brian Harrison called out the association for pushing, quote, dangerous Marxist Ideology. Should Franklin cut ties with the ALA?
0: Are we involved with ALA? Every library is. 100%. Then 100%, 100%. today should be over. No questions asked. Do not pass go. It's over.
3: You know, I discussed this with, and I'll let you have your turn here, Gary, but, you know, this is what infuriates me and what has one of the provocations for me running. I have a 10-year-old daughter. I have her friends knocking on my door this is what we want to indoctrinate the kids with and yes every library every library is associated with them right so with that in mind every public library every public library i'm sorry just to clarify that's the point though this is a continued manipulation and and to even think that it's gone this far people kind of were gas right like this this is hard to believe but we are here we need to make decisions and this is true leadership swift decisions Withdraw.
1: Okay, I made a stop. I'll be real quick uh, knocking on doors. I had two doors just just in a matter of a few houses. The first lady was a librarian, retired librarian. She said, you're here to ban books. I know what you're going to do. I said, well, what kind of books do you think I'm going to ban? And of course, all of these books that you're talking about, the sexual, adult, lifestyle, theme-based books, I said, yes, ma'am, in time, but I, I made come to Franklin sooner than we think. But yes, ma'am, I will definitely be banning all these books from our children. These are not family-friendly books just like our pride festivals are not. So, and she said, well, it didn't harm me. To look at me. And I thought, yeah, I can tell that you're, you're mad and mean and divisive. And yes, it did affect you whether you know it or not. Then I go walking down, like I said, three or four more doors, and it's another librarian. Now, this librarian's a little bit different. Even though she has the same mindset, and she hits me between the eyes again. You're here to ban books in Franklin, Tennessee. I said, I just had this discussion, but yes, I'm going to be trying. If it's sexually explicit, alternative lifestyle explicit, pornographic explicit, any of these type things, I'm going to do my darn just to get it canceled and banned. And she looked at me again, and she said, you know what? I'm not against banning any books, but... She dropped her head in total shame and guilt and said, pornographic books do not need to be in the library. And she made her way to the door, and I said, God bless you, ma'am. You're right, ma'am. And that sheer shame and guilt came upon that librarian. and She knew that that was wrong. Yeah, yep, I'm convinced they frame the argument as a uh, all age is
2: appropriate when it's not, and that's the difference. And I yes. appreciate everything you guys said. Um, uh, I think I'm being pretty fair in the distribution here, but let's go with Jeff. Uh, August 12, 2021, school board approved masks in elementary schools due to the COVID-19 pandemic. At the time, the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention recommends students from kindergarten through grade 12 wear masks in school, along with teachers and visitors, while the American Academy of Pediatrics recommended masks in schools for everyone, everyone over age two. They were wrong. They don't work. The Williamson County Board released a statement. We, uh, we serve more than 40,000 students and employee more, employ more than 5,000 staff members. Our families and staff represent a wide variety of thoughts and beliefs. And it is important in our district that all families and staff have the opportunity to be represented and respected, and that all families, staff, and community members feel safe. Mass don't work. Would you ever vote in favor of
0: masks in another pandemic on your watch? I would never vote for mass ever no vaccines no mass it is not the job of the government to tell people what their what their individual rights are number one number two i don't have kids but kids are our future if we don't protect our kids and fight for our kids and that includes me and every single person out there we have no future in this country and so i i'm i'm that's the most important thing to me is is fighting for kids, raising good kids, um, and protecting the kids. Whether it's being books, masks, um, also as a mental health uh, professional, I also believe that that is a mental health issue, and that has no place being talked about by the government um, as 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 a mandate. So you know, I know we all want to probably talk about this, so everyone should get a chance. The answer's no
1: no answers sure no no
0: all right
2: moving on city hall mayor Ken Moore cast the tie-breaking vote that approved a resolution to finish schematic design work for the nearly 100 million dollar roughly 90 thousand square foot city hall you can do the math the total available resources within the general fund is hundred two million five hundred thirty four thousand one hundred thirty six dollars that wipes that out if they were to do that uh, anybody have an interest in talking about whether or not we should be doing that with our money. Oh, I certainly do. You'll I'm, probably, I'm go sorry, ahead. yeah. We'll go left go right.
3: <laughs> You know, um, again, th- th- this is just a reactive approach. We're, we're spending, you know, we have $151 million in debt. We, we've got a budget, as you mentioned, right, that doesn't support this. All this becomes a cash flow problem. Where does it lead to the, the, the average citizen here and um, constituent? That means $1,250 for every man, woman, and child. It's a lot of money if you add that up, right? Mm-hmm. You add that up. Especially and that's, in an inflationary world and a... Uh, so uh, we don't even know what that... Cons- that's right. So we don't even know what that number is going to be, the overall construction cost. And then now the... So you have the financial impact. Extremely important, right? So we just want to dream big with no accountability. This makes... No sense okay now everybody's buying this this lie the other part i'd say to this and i'll let the other gentleman step in here is what is the impact that not only the debt that we're going to be saddled with per person on the families what is the impact of downtown by allowing this monstrosity to be built do we really need something that's close to a thousand dollars a square foot which most pristine medical centers around that same cost Mm -hmm you know look I, this is a silly subject because of the fact that we're talking that this is even a proposal failure in leadership we should be getting back to basics with a proper plan to execute and to build something that's meaningful for the city that's that's uh, that meets the expectations of the city we're not building a Taj Mahal here. right makes no sense so Jeff it,
2: it, it is a former strip mall it does have uh, traffic problems already and my understanding is the employees don't really use the businesses nearby that often um, on their way home or to work. What is your thought on the $100 million boom dog
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's also in a flood zone. Um, they wanna build an underground garage, which we everybody knows, even somebody that just moved here knows that that can't be done. Uh, in addition to that, um, they have been, given the opportunity to build this city hall next to the police station, which could um, rejuvenate that area. Number one, number two, you go around to almost every city in this country, the city hall is attached to the police department. So that's where this needs to go. It also could be built for a minimum of 40% less over there. They also wouldn't have to uh, displace employees, right? Because if they build it where they want to build it on the square, they got to put those house, those employees somewhere. So that's that's a cost that costs a lot of money too. Um, from being involved in those meetings or going to those meetings, I can tell you from what I've heard, it's closer to 150 million, not 100 million. So if they were to build that over next to the police station where where they could for 40 percent less, they could leave their employees there. They wouldn't have that additional cost to move those employees for three years. Number one, number two, that space could be used for Uh, you know, maybe a little, um, boutique, you know, quaint hotel. That might be something that is period correct, uh, for our downtown. It could be used for retail. What does that do? That generates sales tax dollars. Our, our, our city runs on sales tax dollars. So that's a misuse of the property. That's a, a a misguided leadership that goes back to transparency issues. And I'll bring up rough random again, that is something that every citizen has a right to vote on it has a has a say so in not just the mayor
2: okay Gary, yeah, before you answer that I just want to add a little something to it all right uh, it up. <laughs> early on and I didn't expect anyone to memorize this there won't be a test later but property tax is 11.3 percent of the city's revenue we talked about that it's the third item on the agenda of how much it makes uh, to spend property tax hikes Tennessee was the first state with a truth in taxation requirement but it is now one of four states without a cap on property tax increases. You're well aware of Prop 13 from your California yes, days? Sir. They just repealed it. Franklin has the lowest property tax rate in any city in Tennessee with population over 50,000 and amongst the lowest nationally. That's why I'm here. Amen. Rutherford County just raised 16.2% on their property tax uh, proposed by County Mayor Joe Carr, won a majority of support in a four to three vote, its largest property tax hike in nearly 30 years. Green County raised the tax rate 30%. Nashville residents were hit with a 34% property tax increase in 2020. So now they want to do it again. Lincoln County proposed a 52% property tax increase. Given what I just described, that it, it would take us into debt and obviously taxpayer funds to build a $100 million city hall, what is your opinion on property tax rises and city hall?
1: Property tax is a huge issue. I know as a sharecropper growing up uh, we had a responsibility to our landlord to help somewhat in those property taxes and he used to tell us as he wanted to go up on his price annually to us as farmers is that um, he had to go up uh, somewhat to cover the cost of property taxes. Now that's true it wasn't as bad back then. But now we see where we have lifted that cap, and each county now is looking at their property taxes and their land land holdings within the city and within the counties, and we're assessing large values. Uh, Williamson County, the city of Franklin, as its center, is the seventh wealthiest county in the in the nation. So if if you're thinking that way, and you can raise income or property tax five percent or ten percent, look at the dollars that are going to be rolled in because of our appraisals of all of our property will skyrocket you talked about a million dollars for somebody to get into a home here so there's an opportunity here that they could bust their bank accounts uh, with property tax value increases even if it's a minor amount and they're going to drive that home how small it is but with the appraisal value of everything being extremely high that percentage will still work out into big numbers what my main concern feeling too other than that right alongside of it is our children we're passing down this debt we're already at $150 million in debt. We're going to be another 100 to $150 million in debt over this building. All we're doing is moving this down upon our children. I've heard us brag about our AAA, AA rating, whatever it is. Why do we have to borrow against it if we have it? Why not just be happy with that rating and use it when we need to, not to build a $100 million palace and pass that again upon our children and our grandchildren? So we got to relook at this thing. we got to move it over there with the city hall. We've got to promote that area and, and incentivize it where the city hall is now as small businesses and small shops and mm-hmm. let other people come in here that are dying to come to Franklin to increase what Our tourist and sales tax, all those dollars will just plummet as people still love Franklin as it is now. And coming into two years, I'm hearing more and more how Franklin is changing. And we're going to get into that a little bit more but, uh, yeah. yeah
2: and me coming from california and washington state i can witness with my own eyes when mm-hmm. somebody inherits a house from a second or third generation family and the taxes kick them out because yeah. they can't afford to stay there anymore and That's what right. comes next a mcmansion That's no right. offense to mcdonald's but yeah. mm-hmm. it's a uh it's a problem when you can't live in the house that you inherited from your dearly departed loved one
3: so i just so Steve, what we're talking about is the decisions being made now with BOMA
2: mm-hmm. are
3: directly affecting each and every person here, it's right? Always. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. Very important to wake up, to not have apathy, to look at the, the true transparency of what's happening there and what the clear perspective that we're addressing. here. And I, you know, we talk a lot of numbers, but at the end of the day, local politics, local
2: leadership, directly affects each and every one. Absolutely, and an alderman job is a policy job. So, um, shifting gears a little bit more to uh, current events, I guess, tragedy uh, in our hometown. The Franklin Police Department reports they've now identified 14 victims of Camille Campos, the soccer coach, for those who are aware. Uh, Police said, based on the evidence, detectives have gathered, they're confident, there are more victims out there. How do we feel about how uh, this is being handled it's obviously a national embarrassment um anybody in particular want to talk or start off the conversation about crime and justice in franklin tennessee
3: yeah i'll, I'll
2: go for it i'll jump on that
3: go. you know the reason why i want to jump on that first gentleman is is you know my dad was a state trooper in massachusetts so it's near and dear to my heart um and numerous friends who are in the police force as well i think what happens here is when there's a couple issues, you've got the leadership at the top, when there's not a fundamental direction and clarity on how to operate and how the policies and procedures work, you're gonna start having fragmentation within the, the team. And I've talked to a few police officers, I won't say the names, They're saying, you know, we, we just, we don't like going to work. We love what we do we don't like going to work? And I said, they said, do you understand what I'm saying to you, Patrick? I said, I, light and clear morale, right? It is the culture. It is that affects the morality. These these men and women put their lives on the line. For I believe and indeed they had the average income for police officers is fifty five
2: thousand. Yep, fifty five thousand. Okay, not a lot of money
3: for a town that the average income is over a hundred thousand dollars, right? So. When you don't have proper leadership and you have disenfranchised, um, police officers, what that translates into is, um, you know, they're not going to do their job at the best level they want to, right? They have higher expectations. Leadership's not giving them the tools and systems to be able to perform. And there will be more just like in most cases. But the real question is, how do we get to this? It was only the providential hand of God that allowed this gentleman to leave his phone exposed on the counter. It wasn't a detective. It wasn't a police force. Right, right. Yeah. Steve, what are we looking at here? These are fundamental issues that are really dividing the foundation and fabric of our community. Mm -hmm. It needs to be addressed, and that only comes from strong leadership and new leadership.
2: And I haven't heard enough about the victims. Families, it no. reminds me of Covington. Where no, was...
0: and, and, and um, just to put a, a quick spin on that as far as like the feel of, of, of um, kids and citizens, um, I was with uh, a gentleman who had kids. Uh, his kids are now older, like 25, and they said 10, 15 years ago, those kids called when they saw it on TV, they called their dad and, and they said, we know that guy. Everyone knew to stay away from that guy 10, 15 years ago. So this has been going on for a long time and our leadership starts at the top. And at the top, you've got the mayor, the city manager, attorney, police chief. You've got people at the very top, right? And so that direction of the the direction of our city starts there. And if the leadership isn't, is, is, is just entrenched, then that's a problem. And there's, there's nobody to speak up about it. Number one, number two, look at what um, our police, um I, I I don't know who came up with it. I'm assuming it's the police chief, I could be wrong, but the words that we use about our police department, progressive. We all know what progressive means across this country and in, 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 in other forms of uh life. And that's a problem. And uh I to piggyback off of uh of Patrick, I've spoken to some officers as well and they feel the exact same way. It's moral it's um it's 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 compensation and it's also equipment and if if we get uh if myself if i get elected here you know i i want to make sure and i'm sure they do too but i want to make sure that these these guys are coming to work these men and women are coming to work and they're adequately equipped to handle what the crime is and what is going on and so that involves having the right leadership uh uh on on the board of mayor and alderman to make sure that these guys have the we we go for grants we whatever we got to do as I bring up grants I just want to say one really quick thing we talked about earlier um you know grants bought the water maybe there's grants for police right all that kind of stuff right there's always grants I think it's dangerous and I think we have to really look and that involves really digging deep into how what our budget is and how we spend money. It's the the less federal dollars we can take and we can separate ourselves from the federal government and rely on the federal government, the better off we are, whether it be schools, for first responders, city, all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, 15.9% of the budget comes from state shares. So I think mm-hmm. that's what you're referring to. Um, We talked about the medium home price of a house, 142 police officers live here now. They can't afford to live here, and property tax would make it even harder. Um, Am I hearing from the three of you that the chief of police uh, in Franklin, Deborah Faulkner, has a leadership problem? Is that what I just heard, or or, or are you able to work with her because she's fantastic? I I just don't know. (laughs) I
3: believe there's a leadership problem. And I've only heard that from the police officers themselves. I have not
2: spoken to
0: Miss Faulkner at all. Okay. So, to Just be fair to her. Was that what
2: you were alluding to? Yeah,
0: yeah I, I don't, I, I've heard the exact same thing, uh, but I have not spoken to her either. Same
1: for me, I've not spoken with her either. I'd welcome a meet and greet with her yes. anytime. any time. And she's been
2: invited on the show. Um, Corporate welfare behind closed doors. We have the same problem in Nashville. We have the same problem in Sacramento. We have the same problem in New York City. It's a big thing, and it's just an American thing at this point, almost a tradition. But we have a board of mayor and aldermen that make decisions that even aldermen don't get to see, I'm told. You say you want transparency. Would you do away with that board and put more votes on the Internet maybe with, say, 48 hours before a vote so citizens can see it?
1: Gary Uh, No. I used to, when I worked with USDA, I was a manager in many offices across the state of Tennessee. And I was responsible for helping assemble the agenda for the next board member. I required my secretaries and other uh, people in the office to have a little file on their desk and to constantly make notes about the next board meeting. And I would take their papers and I would sit down and look at all of them and would compile a draft agenda and then we'd, I'd recircle it back around and say, listen, is this what we need to talk about monthly? This is always monthly meetings because if you're not doing anything within a month, you're not doing anything at all. you got to have at least a monthly meetings. So I would take that draft agenda, recircle it again, and then we'd all agree on the agenda, and then I would send it to the chairman of the board. And the chairman of the board would look at it get back with me and say, hey, this looks like a good agenda. And then we'd post it in the paper. Hey, we're going to have this soil conservation district board meeting this day and night. This is Tennessee sunshine law. It must be done that way, period. And so I would take that agenda with the chairman and we'd sit down in our board meetings of sometimes five, six, seven, or eight, whoever would come, plus our guests. And then we had a, and they would get it beforehand, about a week, maybe sometime two weeks ahead of time. We always looked into the future. Because I could tell as federal dollars came in that I had to manage and our request from the general public what there must be done. So as that agenda was open and we discussed it then we were able to arrive at I thought really good logical solutions and we were able in my office to spend at least a million dollars a year which I was one of the leading counties in the state of Tennessee trying to take care of federal problems and farmers and homeowners issues with their farms. So an agenda has to be published and printed and put out, same as the Board of Aldermen, need to see this thing beforehand, ask questions beforehand if they need to, and then move forward on that agenda. Okay. My understanding is the uh, Williamson County
2: Council doesn't do that as well either, so there's room for improvement in the state that's as old as this one is. Well, it is, and
3: I just want to say, you know, to when you continue to be less transparent you continue to create this establishment. You start mm-hmm. creating this internal body that's making the decisions for the community. Every door we knock on, every meet and greet, they they. The questions I ask is, "What concerns you most about Franklin?" Right? Why do I ask that question? Because I want to actually hear from the community members,
2: especially We're, in an at-large position where it's the whole, it's city, whole city, not just a district. Right? But
3: the responsibility then becomes, I'm, you know, we. This is. This is a highly esteemed position because we represent the people and the transparency has to be there to hear them. Now, also, when we have certain things, you can post and do all that transparency and that's critically important, even to selecting committee members, getting proper resumes vetted. But I'd say the other thing we need to do is is at large and as part of your, your ward, is you need to let your, bring that to your constituents, say, hey, this is coming up for, evoked you need to be aware of this it's our job mm-hmm. yeah. that's our that's our we that's our duty to the people yeah which so, you are
2: volunteering to do because it's not a very highly paid no job, it's so not yeah.
3: but but we're doing it though right because we felt called to the position okay. so whether it pays or you know the little how little it pays is that doesn't that shouldn't be driving our ambitions right our ambitions is to serve the people serve the leadership. so well
2: said okay uh you guys ready for a lightning round yeah. All right. Let's see here. Uh, see, I figure you all have opinion on this, so we'll just go left to right and then right to left on this one. Uh, stand against middle eight. Um, vehemently opposed. I should mention that this is a private property being sold to the city yeah. to create housing and uh, a little bit congested. Um, if you want to expand on it a little bit, and then we'll go with everyone's answer. Yeah,
3: a little bit congested. That's a nice way of saying <laughs> that. <laughs> So um, you know that was a residential property, historic property that was quickly flipped into the ability to have a commercial property, high density. So it's the highest density in Williamson County. Jeff, how do you feel about
0: thirty-eight point four units per acre, six stories, built on uh, part historic zoning, which they have not done anything with. They're supposed to do archaeological digs and things like that, and also on, on a floodplain. Um, they Six stories
2: would be four stories taller would, than anything it'd, else.
0: It'd be, I believe, three stories, three taller. Okay. um, so it would set a precedent, right? Every developer that is, uh, uh, has the air of, of, uh, BOMA right now is just waiting for that shovel to hit the dirt so that they can come in here. Well, so what
3: that does now is change the landscape of our downtown. Right. So that wholesome, charming downtown yeah. that we now have exactly. yeah, that we all deal to
1: yeah. changes. Yeah, You know, I heard, as we said in a Bowman meeting and we heard that the design engineers couldn't even figure out the correct footage above the, I heard it was uh, three feet, I heard five feet, y'all remember hearing all yeah. this, a design engineer can't even come up with it, there's some flaws here, it's in a floodplain, more flaws, how about these people that are going to move into these apartments and they have their cars or bicycles or motorcycles parked in these floodplains, We get that surprise quick flood, not this long rain event, a surprise flood hit like Franklin can get. And their insurance people are unaware that they parked their cars in a floodplain. So these uh, new rental homeowners or renters We'll have to make sure with their insurance where they can even get insurance plane insurance on their vehicles
0: well and not everyone can have a vehicle because there's not one vehicle per there's not enough right you i not think it's uh 0.78 or well, point with the eight seven. creation of 15 in the cities they don't really want that
2: price well okay so that's the
3: agenda right wow. now we get to it because you have infrastructure issues which is one of my main issues you've got the congestion which is one of the major issues we've talked to people major. about, not and, very environmental. And then you got a transitory crowd. That's going to like, they're not stakeholders and I'm okay with renters. Of course yeah, I am sure. not, no problem with that. Sure. What I'm saying is you're creating and people say, well, people need a place to live in Franklin and rental is good. And I agree with that. But do you feel that these rental places are going to be affordable? You mentioned your statistics there. One of the highest rent averages in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, Steve. No, more than the same? Yeah. Still not it's, adding it's up. It's
0: another one of those situations, too, where BOMA did not listen to the to their constituents. That's right. Not one... N- nobody wants this project to happen. It's so a good it segue to my next through. question. It's supposed to be a lightning round. Okay. Um, <laughs> we definitely had a
2: contentious year with uh, the Pride Festival trying to have their second event. After the first one didn't go so well, a... Uh, ordinance was passed about um Decency. the right word indecency thank you very much uh they got it anyway they've already been on tape saying just wait till next year you'll have drag. your drag i don't know if next year is going to be voted on or if this is grandfathered in now forever but if you get a chance what would you vote on pride
1: for 3.0 well you brought up an interesting point this grandfathering. That'll be the first thing if I'm elected, just to make sure of this grandfathering thing, that's, that's got to be stopped immediately. Amen. And I will not ever, ever vote for a so-called family-friendly Pride Festival, where you wear your sexuality on your sleeve and you're going to be parading your sexuality as a family-friendly event, even if it's in front of the transgenders and the, the gay people and all the other people, their kids. They're, they're opening even their eyes of their own kids to things that they don't need to see. They need to be out playing and running and jumping and not worrying about their sexuality at age 5, 6, 8, 10, 12, 15, even 18 years of age. This is ridiculous. We're living in a theater of absurdity, and it has began with the Pride Festival, and it needs to be ended immediately. That will lead to Pride parades right down West Main Street with Pride Flags, naked men on their bicycles, defecating and doing whatever else they want in their streets, going in and out of stores, however they want to look, going around our chip, our statue, our history, that good and bad, we realize all that, we don't want to... To destroy our history and see. And you're families. not making
2: that up. That's exactly
1: yeah. the footage that came out of New York City and yes. the fountains. Yes. That's what happened to
2: the San Francisco and the yes. bases and in Seattle, which I yes. saw on myself with the naked bicycles with yes. the children present. So you're absolutely right. You're not making that up. And we, you all said we want Franklin to stay Franklin, not be like Manhattan. Okay. Go for
0: it. So, uh, one, it, that's a no for me. Um, any any type of event that is sexual in nature does not need to be on public grounds they can do it at their houses there's plenty of people here that own 10 20 50 100 acre uh uh private uh, private estates you can hold that in a private uh, estate but nowhere on public land that is funded by taxpayers that is owned by taxpayers that's owned by the city should there be a sexual in nature 100 percent
3: Okay. I'm 100% against it. <laughs> yeah.
2: 100% for this the, the conversation.
0: Because. I knew what you meant based on the yeah. last one. Well, I want
3: to minutes. clarify yeah. for the editing.
2: Okay. Uh, religious prosecutions. Some of the folks who also expressed those opinions yeah. publicly on public property during the private event are now facing legal consequences. How do you feel about that?
3: Well, I, I happen to know the, the gentleman and, and spoke to him at length about this, and I think he handled it with much grace. Um, you know, not many of us would have done that and um you know it just goes to show you that when you create the confrontation and then others are are participating in this not to bring the piece the the you know the script oftentimes gets flipped here that oh this person came in to antagonize when that certainly was not the case and this is on video and you know we talked about the police officers earlier it wasn't the person who got. He got physically handcuffed, but the police officers were mentally handcuffed. I mean, they didn't want to do this stuff. And I also want to say, you know, I think, you know, we're setting this up. This is a ticking time bomb.
1: When
3: We start infringing upon the rights and individual liberties. I'm a constitutionalist, and this is very near and dear to my heart. But I'm also a chaplain. I understand we need to accommodate for other faiths and beliefs, but we also need to be able to, um, you know, understand that we live in a community. This is a fabric of our community, is is how Franklin thrived and how, why we live here. And when you do stuff like that, where you take exponential steps to see someone because of them questioning what's happening, it sounds like a society where we're becoming pre Nazi Germany, does yeah. it not?
2: Yeah. And Jeff, um, the tragedy of it all is that when they do these things that are against the Constitution, against the law, not enforcing the laws that are on the books, it costs the taxpayers when the lawsuit comes. Right. So how do you feel about the situation that was created unnecessarily in my opinion?
0: So I, I may give a, a teeny lengthy answer to that. Uh, like this is one of the reasons why I actually am, am running is to restore people's voices, because re- that's what we are. Leadership is supposed to listen to our voices, right? I went to those BOMA meetings, I stood up, I spoke at both of them. I was very involved in it. I heard everyone else go there and spend all their evening and everyone spoke out about it, okay? I watched, I watched city council. I watched Ann Peterson. I watched Brandy Blanton. I watched them vote for this and not listen to any of their constituents. And then I watched uh, Mayor Ken Moore also say, I heard all of you guys, you guys all vote for us but i it doesn't really matter i'm going to do what i want to do and so i want to restore people's voices number one number two i actually went to that festival because i went in with some of the some of the people who uh including the gentleman that got arrested i went into this because i wanted to be able to intelligently speak about this i planned on running and without me going to it i couldn't couldn't speak about it on my way in I only lived three miles away. On my way into downtown, I spotted a Department of Homeland Security mass casualty unit at a stoplight at the police station, or the fire station, forgive me. And I took a picture of it and I said, what is this? And I sent it to our our our, our BOMA and everyone said, oh, wow, oh, uh, I don't know. And I said, well, I've never seen that here before. And there were several parked around town. So when we when the mayor um, voted for this, he lit our, our town on fire, right, for both sides. This isn't just one-sided. Mm-hmm. Both sides, right? They want to have it. We A lot of people didn't want them to have it.
2: On the heels of Murfreesboro saying no. Exactly. You know, he
0: said they had to right. say yes to it. And now we have the these mass, mass casualty units mm-hmm. ro- rolled into town, okay? And then we had SWAT there. Our full police force was there expensive. This is not only expensive, obviously this is dangerous, okay? And so I think we need to do a better job at listening to to constituents and to being leaders and talking about this and 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 an example of that too is none of these people were around. The, the 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 mayor was out of town, he was on vacation during this event. Nobody I I did not see anybody from Boma there when I was there. These are things they voted for and they're not participating in it. And they're just leaving it for all of us. So and they lit the fuse and problem. didn't stick around I, for I, I personally think that's a problem.
2: Gary uh, Mayor Moore wrote an email. I believe that trust and transparency are essential for those in public service. Sounds like Jeff didn't think he was being very transparent in that vote. What do you think of the uh,
1: religious persecutions that are happening right now? The mayor is not listening to the citizens at all, and my opponent Brandy Blant has made that sure with her votes. I'm not slandering Brandy at all. She keeps voting for the Pride Festival. She's uh, backing the mayor on anything and everything that he says and does, and that's just fine, but somewhere or another it's, it's got to stop, and it needs to stop now with the mayor uh, the trusted, that I hear everywhere I go about about half the time that they want the mayor sent home. That's their words, it's time for him to go home. And then I hear more than half the time that we need Brandy Blanton to go home, that they both stand together and they're representing the issues that are very contrary to the citizens of this county. The transparency does not exist. When they have a little work meeting, they do a few little things and they go right before the, the citizens are to hold their meetings and they've already got pre-planned comments Such as, I was there that night at the Pride Festival permit reading in March or April, whenever it was. Each board member had their prepared, written comments. Prepared, written, whether it was a yes or a no. To me, we're all sitting here without any notes whatsoever. I know it's more impromptu. But I intend to voice my opinions from my mind, not from a prepared statement where it says this, this, and this. I think there was a lot of things on the side done as they prepared their statements. The mayor then came out and wrote an article in the newspaper that was about two thirds of a page trying to defend his vote and his transparency and his ideas how it's gonna hurt the, the county and the city, the city primarily. And then this thing about Joe, nobody came to the gentleman with a religious prosecution. That's his name, Joe, I think is what we call him. And no, nobody, Nobody on the board, except maybe Gabrielle, might have said something that tried to defend his right there. He's going in through the gate now to pay his money, and he's got his Jesus shirt on, whatever it says. I can't remember the exact words. Management of the Pride Festival is just a little ways away in a tent, and they're watching everything. They take his money. They let him go in. Sometimes there's things called set setups. I think they were. Yeah, Bibles were also somebody. taken out of purses of old yeah. ladies. I mean, it yeah. was a very yeah.
2: anti-religious event for yeah, sure, sure, which is exactly what you guys are talking about. Um, okay, last one, but before I do, I just want to say I too went to the pride uh, <coughs> vote during at City Hall as an observer, didn't speak, listened to probably eight to one against versus in favor. Some of the folks who voted for it on the council uh, said that they received more. Of eight to one in favor by letter and email i did a freedom of Information request act i could show it to anybody who wants to see it and most of those were form letters from out of state out of city some of them so in a hurry that they didn't even type into to and from that said dear <laughs> blank oh, da, 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 da. Oh, and so that's pretty embarrassing for it's the true. cause but it still won the day and now we're dealing with it we'll have to deal with it again in 2024 last one and then uh, uh, we'll trying to wrap this up tax break for In-N-Out hamburger. We just talked about how much important revenue is for this city if they want to grow in the way that they've already declared they want to. What do you make of that corporate welfare?
1: Way too much. I don't mind us helping them some, but uh, they need to present us what their annual budget, what their revenue is that they're bringing per year. We need to weigh that against what kind of tax incentives we give them, again, I'd like to take all the money that we've given them to, to incentivize and help local businesses start up, repair, rebuild, put in new labor infrastructure within their buildings. Some of these buildings are pretty old, maybe plumbing, maybe roofing, something else needs to be done. I'm all about small business. The larger businesses are welcome to come here, but remember, we're trying to help the city and the county grow. They are too, but we've got to make sure there's a balance of money if, if they're truly in need of some tax dollars to help them get here. They're looking for the cheapest way in to provide the, hopefully the most service, which we're not, we may or may not get. And I don't know how many in and outs they plan to put here or how many in and out stores, if they're going to do that, just a corporate headquarters. I've not heard all those details yet, but I am not for this $200 million whatsoever. How's
0: so I don't believe in corporate welfare. As a small business owner myself, I, I I think we have to support local businesses, just as Gary said. Having said that, I love In and Out Burger. My wife loves it. You know, we, we 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 love it. People come here, right? These big corporations move here for a reason. Like 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 Gary alluded to, it's the seventh wealthiest county in the in in the country, right? Franklin is the um well currently. Right. Hopefully we can keep it as the darling of, of the state of Tennessee. Right. So people know when they come here, they're getting people and, and tons of Californians here, by the way. So they're, they didn't, they don't need any tax breaks. They can come here. They're going to get great employees. They're going to get, um, they're, they're, they're going to get tons of people lining up just like in California. It's going to go around the building, just like Chick-fil-A, you know, does. They're gonna have plenty of opportunities to, to make that money back. This is a great move for in and out to do. Uh, I'm glad they're coming. I would not have given them tax breaks. I also am upset that that it seems to me that from what I hear, this was a behind the, you know, kind of good old boy network kind of deal between the state, county, and city. Um, you know, bo- uh, most of the aldermen were not included in this deal. They, they weren't there at the, um, or not groundbreaking but at the, at the uh, announcement nobody really knew what was going on until the very end I think that's part of that transparency and that we need to be transparent about what's going on in the city talk to people um, and as alderman for me you know when I'm elected, I'm gonna hold town halls I'm gonna have people be able to access me let's talk about what's going on um, and I think that's a major change that needs to happen.
2: So being a Southern California guy and having a rivalry against Texas, it was always In-N-Out versus Whataburger. Yeah. Different conversation than $290,000 of my home property taxes going towards them. But what do you think?
3: Well, it is. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. So we discussed throughout this program, right, the fiscal responsibilities we have. For an organization, a corporate organization like In-N-Out Burger, $290,000 does not mean that much to them. Right. That's an obligatory you know, handout to them. We can allocate that, <clears throat> excuse me, we can allocate that to the small businesses. I'm pro-small business. Why? Because I'm also a small business owner myself, like Jeff, and uh, one of the things that you look at in downtown Franklin is the mystique and charm of the small businesses. We don't want to turn this into a corporate haven. They came here for a lot of different reasons, but I can probably guess that they came here because it's a desirable place to live. They can attract very, um, very sophisticated professionals to work here. They've got a wealthy audience to cater to. There's a lot of reasons. That should be, that should be the currency that we're dealing with. It's the desirability to come here to Franklin into Williamson County. It's not the dollars that are being handed out. And the transparency issue is a huge part of this because there was a lot of backroom discussions being had and that's just not how we want to do business yeah this is our community not their community
2: okay well especially since it's a southern california company um i want to thank you all for coming i want to give you all a chance to do your closing statements you spend a lot of time with us i really hope the voters get a chance to, to understand and hit rewind a couple times and hear things <coughs> again maybe even follow up with you on your campaign so be sure to tell them where they can find you how they can donate how they can volunteer for you um, and we'll talk about well everyone Election day is October 24th. Voter registration deadline is September 25th. Early voting October 4th through 19th. Uh, don't rely on someone else to vote the way you want to. So
1: give us your closing statement here, please. Okay, I am a local, College Grove, Tennessee, 1974 <laughs> graduate. I've seen what has happened to Franklin over the years. For the most part, it's been good, but it's like the facade on some of our businesses down there that. Downtown, that they're beautiful on the outside, but on the inside there may be issues. That's just meaning the city of Franklin. There's a facade that's been painted out here about the city of Franklin, and that behind it now in the last two years. And that's the only reason I'm running is because of the votes. It's not the people, it's the votes. And when I can stand up and say that their vote is wrong, I am meaning that based on. The Pride Festival, number one. Number two, the mid-eight conflict that went on. The $100 million city hall that's going on. The in and out thing that's going on. These are the main things that, that brought me up out of the, my room sitting in my chair watching Tennessee beat Alabama again, hopefully, this year. I've had it. It's enough. Enough is enough. And somebody has to get up and take take the load on and bear the burden as Jesus Christ did back in his day. And if we don't do it, then nobody else was. The amazing thing about this to me is that we three just rose up one day and walked in. There had not been any vetting of anybody going on in this area by any groups to try to get somebody to run against this group. Now, yes, there was some little things going on, but nothing major where they said, we need you running, let's push you, let's get the money behind you, let's get the support and move on. We just happened to rise up. We think we're being God called to this, and I know that we are. I feel our passion, our knowledge, and what we know. And, and I have brought this from the farm all the way here, I hope, with common sense. I am not a brilliant person, a highly intellectual spoken person. I'm somebody that's going to work. If anybody knows me, and they'll tell you instantly that you cannot hold me down, I persevere, I get things done, and I intend to do that again. And starting with those first three or four issues, it's not about the people, it's how they voted. So I'm here to help try to get things done uh, to remove those no votes, those yes votes back to no votes and whatever it, is, it takes to restore the soul of Franklin. You can see me on my website, vote number four, Gary Moore. Vote for Gary If you can help support me in any shape, or form or fashion, I welcome it. I appreciate it. Uh, I would be honored to have your support. And you can contact me at any time, and I'll guarantee you a reply. And as Jeff has mentioned the town hall things, I'm going to have even subcommittee groups sitting around helping me with some of these important decisions. I know where I'm going to stand on some, but I look to the citizenry of this uh, Franklin, Tennessee to help me make final answers as I approach the BOMA meetings. So let's restore the soul of Franklin. Do you have a website and an email? Uh, website is vote for voteforgarymoore.com, number four, email
0: is, uh, on the website, on the website, okay. thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, because I, I did not start off my life speaking, um, and God gave me a voice. Uh, that's why I feel so important to give our constituents back their voice. And so... Uh, i want to work together with everybody i want to i want to do what's right i want to i want to talk to people about what they want to see here right i also believe in term limits so this is not a career move for me this is not something i want to do forever right i want to do this i want to straighten things out and then i want to move on and let somebody else take over okay i think it's fair for everyone to be able to participate in in government and i think local government the reason why i've got involved in local government uh almost two decades ago is because i felt like that affects us every single day and most people don't realize it affects you until something goes wrong right oh they want this road here they want they want to put a, put this big development here they want uh to raise our taxes whatever the case may be all of a sudden then they're like oh those aldermen that's what they do so that's what we do and i want to make sure that everyone has a say so in that uh you can find me at Jeff4 Alderman.com. All my social media is Jeff for Alderman as well. Uh I too would 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 love people's support and donations if possible. Um I'm available anytime to talk, meet, or uh they can email me at Jeff uh for alderman uh at gmail.com, Jeff F O R. Number four. Jeff F O R. Jeff for Alderman.com and uh you know, I hope that I can um, uh, answer people's questions and I hope that I can give them some kind of confidence that I'll be a great leader.
2: Patrick,
3: yes. take us home. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> um, and appreciate your time and the questions and your podcast and the audience, of course. Thank you. Um, my oh, mates here. Um, so we've talked a lot about lack of leadership here. And I think, you know, my business experience and my responsibility, one, one thing, when people look at this, you, you determine leadership, it's it's really not how you lead from the front, it's how you lead from behind, right? It's that servant leadership model to understand that your, your decision-making process, that truly affects each and every individual. So in this case, our community and their livelihoods, all these issues we talk about from the burden of taxes of $1,250 per person, if this new, you know, city hall gets built to the infrastructure to <clears throat> to the 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 growth that's happening here you know i look at it and i was interested to see you know some of the, the folks running for me i'm running for an open seat i don't have so the person who held my seat gabriel hansen is now running for mayor and um you know so we support her and what she's doing and i'm stepping into her seat you know what one of the candidates running against me i noticed he's He's been part of the zoning committee. That's a red flag. should be a red flag to everybody here is we talk about congestion. We talk about the, the middle eight, which I vehemently oppose. This is a problem. We're, just, we're putting more of the establishment into, into play here, where less transparency, decisions are made without any influence of the people, the community. So you know, yes, I have a strong leadership background, Steve. But it's really because I have a heart for people. And that's what led me to chaplaincy. And it's a very difficult job, but it's you know, if you do call it a job, I it's a calling for me. And for this office, it is a calling. So, you know, look, I I'm I'm a fresh face, fresh perspective. My background lends itself perfectly for this to bring strong leadership for the people, to hear their voice. And I would really appreciate if the people supported me. Ask me questions. I want to hear your voice and they can reach me at votepatrickgeorge.com. And then email is votepatrickgeorge at gmail.com. And of course, I'm out and about. So love to shake hands and and meet you and truly hear what your concerns are about the city.
2: All right, Patrick, Jeff, Gary, thank you for your time. We wish you you. all the luck next month. Uh, We are at the end here. You told everyone where your websites are. You can hit the rewind button and check it out. Um, The Williamson County Republican Party will host a candidate forum uh, for those running on seats on the Franklin Board of Mayor and Alderman Thursday, September 21st, this week, from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Williamson County Administrative Complex Auditorium. As I said, you can register to vote before September 25th, early voting October 4th through 19th, Election Day October 24th. Let's try to move that number from that 7%, very apathetic, yeah. very uninterested those those number from 2019 to something that shows you care. Otherwise, it's going to happen to you. And uh, thanks again for coming on with us. This, that's it for this episode. Thank you. Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us. Peace in our time, and glory to God. You've done this for your time.